This is the Lions Unchained podcast, where the shackles of your mind are broken. It's not for the faint-hearted, but the chosen few who've embraced the call to leadership, dare to venture where others will not, and believe in God's supernatural power. Join Carl Joseph now for a life-changing word. Get ready to be unleashed into your destiny. Friend, I'm continuing today on our topic of the rapture of the church. Now, ever since Israel's disobedience and rejection of Christ as Messiah, they have been put on hold. However, God's plan has multiple threads to it. Remember, the church began on the day of Pentecost and ends at the rapture. Then once we, the church, are gathered together in the air to meet the Lord Jesus, the clock will begin again for the Jews. The Old Testament's focus concerns the nation of Israel primarily, and the New Testament is written to the church. Both the church and the rapture were mysteries concealed within the Old Testament, ready to be revealed within the New Testament. We must always ask the question when reading any chapter in the Bible, friend, to whom is it written, when was it written, and by whom? Now, friend, it's a little-known fact that after the Apostle Paul encountered the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, it wasn't until three years later that he finally went up to Jerusalem. So what on earth was he doing in this three-year time span, you might ask? Well, according to Scripture, he went into the region of Arabia and evidently sought the Lord concerning the doctrines he would write during the New Testament, one of which is the rapture of the church. In two instances, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, and Galatians 4:25, Paul, by his own testimony, reveals his journey into the Arabian desert. Now, the kingdom of Arabia extended east and south of Palestine from the Euphrates to the Red Sea during that time period. Paul may have gone to Arabia to begin missionary work, or he may have sought a place of solitude to reflect on his encounter with the risen Christ. What's interesting, friend, is that both Paul and Moses received special revelation from God in the Arabian desert. Remember, Moses received the Torah on Mount Sinai, which is located in Arabia. And like I said, Paul went there after his conversion also. So it's during this time of solitude that Paul likely received his rapture revelation, which he shared in the first or arguably second epistle he ever wrote, which is his letter to the church at Thessalonica. So why wasn't the rapture mentioned in the Old Testament like the second coming? Because the church had not yet been birthed. Remember, the church didn't exist until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And after that, God revealed in Genesis 10 that the Gentiles were to be a part of the church. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, the Apostle Paul says, Comfort one another with these words. Friend, there isn't much comfort if we're going to go through the tribulation period, is there? That's why Paul is telling the church to comfort one another with these words, because we're not going to go through it. The rapture is called the blessed hope in Titus 2.13 for a reason. And once again, there isn't much blessed hope if we're going through the tribulation. It says also in this verse that we're looking for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The church is never once told to look for the Antichrist, but Christ only, as I said before. Friend, there's absolutely no event that has to happen before the rapture. It could happen at any time. It's imminent. 
In contrast, however, the commencement of the tribulation period, or the day of the Lord, begins with the signing of a seven-year peace treaty between Israel and the Antichrist, found in Daniel 9.27 and Isaiah 28 verses 14 through 22. Now, friend, I'm going to get into the meat of this teaching right now. I'm also a pastor, not a Greek scholar, but I will do my best and share my research with you. Now, in Paul's second letter to the church at Thessalonica, he's writing in response to a forged letter in his name that had already been circulated, saying that his congregants had missed the rapture of the church and were now in the tribulation period, also known as the Day of the Lord. So Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians in order to refute this false statement, which was circulating within a letter. Now I'm going to read to you from the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians right now, and I will interject some of my statements within it as I go. Verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. This gathering, friend, is the rapture that you be not shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, which was saying that they were already in the tribulation because they missed the rapture, that the day of Christ is at hand. What is the day of Christ? In other words, this is the tribulation. Then it goes on to say, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, what day? The day of the Lord, the tribulation, shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, also known as the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Paul's already told them this before. He's repeating himself. And now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. Friend, there's a withholding force. There's a restrainer in the earth, and it is us, the church, in this present time. It's holding the Antichrist back. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. The he here is the church. Once we are taken out of the way, the Antichrist can be revealed. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Friend, there is so much meat in this scripture that it'll take me a moment to expound upon it. The passage here was quoted often by the early church fathers. It is their rapture passage. You will notice that in order for the Antichrist to appear, there must be a falling away first. Now this term falling away stems from the Greek word apostasia. This noun is only used once elsewhere in the New Testament, in Acts 21.21, 21, and in that instance, it means to depart, not fall away or rebel. So the usage of apostasia as a noun means departure, not rebellion or abandonment, as many surmise. Now, the common way people translate this falling away is there will be a departure from the faith. Now, I do agree that in these last days, certainly many will depart from the faith, embracing ecumenical doctrines, teaching that there are many paths to salvation. This is certainly an apostasy or moving away from orthodox doctrine, no doubt. Heck, Paul even talks about this in 1 Timothy 4.1. He mentions doctrines of devils. And he explicitly talks about people departing from the faith in the last days. So I'm not saying that some people won't depart from the faith, because this is taught in the New Testament. 
But what I'm saying here, friend, is that the term falling away mentioned in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4 is actually the departure or rapture of the church from the earth, not a falling away from faith or rebellion, as I will explain shortly. Now notice it says a falling away, not the falling away. Did you know, friend, that in the first 10 translations of the Bible since Jerome's Vulgate, this term has been translated as departure, not falling away. So the Wycliffe Bible, the Tyndale Bible, the Coverdale, the Crammer, the Breaches, and finally the Geneva Bible all translated this term falling away as departure or departing right up until the publication of the King James. That means, friend, in layman's terms, for 1,200 years or so since Jerome's Latin translation, this term falling away was indeed translated as the departure of the church, which is not how it reads in many of the modern-day Bibles. Like I said, friend, the Geneva Bible, loosely known as the Puritan Bible, was quoted by William Shakespeare in his plays. But for some reason, the King James translators incorrectly translated this noun apostasia as falling away instead of departure, which had been the case for over a thousand years. This falling away is an event, but what else could it be other than the rapture? This event must come before the day of the Lord can transpire. Once the departure of the church takes place, only then can the tribulation period commence and the Antichrist be revealed. Why? Because the church, friend, is the restraining influence in the earth. We, the church, are the restrainer. The two billion people on the earth who've given their allegiance to Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling within them is a restraining force for evil that once removed will cause darkness to flood the earth like never before. If this noun apostasia means departure, then 2 Thessalonians 2.4 makes total sense. This is not some isolated view on my part, friend. Several lexicons in circulation, in fact five in total, have stated this word to be departure instead of falling away, including Liddell and Scott, Arndt and Gingrich, Moulton and Milligan, Lampe and finally Kittle. Dr. Thomas Ice of the Pre-Tribulation Institute has written several papers on this very topic and is a renowned Greek scholar. The late Dr. Tim LaHaye also held to the same viewpoint. Another strong proponent and scholar of the viewpoint that the Greek noun apostasia means departure is Kenneth Wiest. Wiest was a professor of New Testament Greek at the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and published over a dozen books on the New Testament. He later went on to produce his own English translation of the New Testament. Testament. Friend, it's evident from studying this scriptural passage, much confusion has surrounded the true meaning of the term falling away in the King James. In many of the modern translations since the 17th century and beyond, apostasia has been wrongly translated as rebellion in the NIV, Goodspeed, RSV, Moffat, Phillips, Jerusalem Bible, Williams, uh, the Berkeley, the ASV, and finally the New King James. As we can see in the outlay of the seven English Bibles down the centuries, clearly a change occurred in the timeline from the traditional view that falling away meant departure. So where exactly did this change take place, you might ask? Well, for some reason, a Swiss scholar named Theodore Beza, who lived from 1519 to 1605, was the first to transliterate apostasia and create a new word rather than translate it as departure, as the previous English Bibles had done. 
the translators of the King James had the Bezer edition of 1589 available to them. It appears the King James translators switched this Greek noun from departure to falling away based on the influence of having Bezer's edition of 1589 in their possession at the time. Now, after some study, friend, Theodore Bezer's deed of switching the meaning in his translation may be more purposeful than first thought. Apparently, Beza, who was John Calvin's successor, was a fan of scholasticism. Now, scholasticism was a perverted educational tradition of the medieval schools which attempted to mix Holy Scripture with the philosophies of the Greeks and the Romans. This included the works of Plato and Aristotle. It was a hodgepodge to say the least and resulted in confusion and a pollution of God's holy word. It's surmised that due to Bayes' own Calvinistic beliefs, he switched the translation of the Greek noun apostasia from departure to rebellion to suit his own convictions. Unfortunately, friend, like I said, the King James translators were influenced by Beza and chose to use the English term falling away instead of departure. And this is how it should have been translated because it was so for so many centuries. Okay, so let's park the bus right here. I might have gone way too far with this information, friend, but I wanted to share some of my findings with you. You might say, TMI, Pastor, too much information, dude. Just give me the cliff notes. Friend, I understand your viewpoint, but this is such an important part of God's Word, and this passage has been misunderstood for so many years. What I'm sharing with you is that the pre-tribulation rapture of the church is an integral doctrine of the New Testament. It was a mystery revealed to the Apostle Paul, most likely in the Arabian desert, and he quickly shared this revelation with the church in his first, if not second, epistle that he ever wrote. You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who has witnessed God's miraculous power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl covers topics such as geopolitics, current affairs, cults, societal trends, and end-time events, all through a biblical lens. Every Monday, new podcasts are uploaded, so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory. Check out carljosephministries.com for exciting articles, teachings, and discussion points. See you next week, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button.